Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So a little boy was speaking with his grandpa and his dad was in the room and so he said, hey daddy, did grandpa make you go to church when you were my age? Well, his daddy said, he sure did. We went every single Sunday. Boy said, sadly, he said, well, I guess it won't do me any good either. Sometimes that's what people think about church, right? That it won't do them any good. I mean, if you're really paying attention, just look around and look at all the people that go. Obviously, it doesn't do them any good either. An elderly woman walked into a church, and the friendly usher greeted her at the door and helped her up a flight of steps. Where would you like to sit, he asked her. She said, I'd like to sit on the front row. He said, you really don't want to do that, ma'am. Our pastor is really boring. Well, she said, do you happen to know who I am? No, ma'am, I sure don't. Well, I'm the pastor's mother. He said, well, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, good. Some have this view that the pastor and the message of this book, this old book, all this stuff means that we're really, as has been said today, that we are on the wrong side of history. That there's no way that church or anything in this book can possibly do anything good for society or me personally. I mean, really, why would I want to go to a church and listen to some boring man talk about this old book? guess maybe the question we're asking this morning is, is this really what church really is? I mean, is this all there is? Back in the 1960s, there was a famous college basketball player at UCLA. His name was Lou Alcindor. And Lou was searching for the meaning of life and investigated several world religions, including Christianity. He was impressed with the person of Christ, but his reason for rejecting Christianity was, I've never seen a real Christian. If I'd ever seen one, I might become one. Lou converted to the Muslim religion, and he took on that famous name that we all know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Perhaps he had been reading what Gandhi once said, that Gandhi once said there was a time when he wavered between Hinduism and Christianity, and Gandhi said, I would have become a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. Sadly, that's the view that many have. They say, well, I would go to church, but I work with too many people who go to church. I want to help us understand a little bit about what the church is and what its function is and some of those kind of things, and maybe set really this kind of idea aside that why does there seem to be such a, a difference between what people who go to church say and what people who go to church do? Because we just have to kind of understand that there is some discrepancy. There has to be grace for that. So I want to bring us in this morning. 
on the subject of the church. And if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians from now until the rapture. (laughs) The Apostle Paul was deeply concerned for the testimony of the Corinthian church as they lived there in that wicked city of Corinth. If you need more background, please listen to last week's message. Paul had heard that Corinthian Christians were carnal. In other words, they were worldly, they were fleshly. They were falling back in some of the old patterns that characterized them before they were converted to Christ. There was deep division and contentions among them. Some were involved in immoral activity. Some were even coming to the Lord's table drunk. They were all rebelling against Paul's authority and any authority in the church. Divorce was running rampant. Some were taking Christian brothers and sisters to secular law courts. Spiritual gifts were being abused, so much so that guests who came in found it repulsive. Some in the church, believers, were even denying that there was going to be a resurrection of Christians. Paul was deeply concerned that in Corinth, the Corinthian church was giving Jesus a bad name. Because of their sinful behavior, Paul picks up his pen and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives them the book of 1 Corinthians. And what I love about what Paul does is he doesn't start by saying, you bunch of heathen. (laughs) He starts by encouraging them that they are saints because our identity always determines our activity. So I wonder if you would stand with me this morning and read with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as Paul lays out, I believe, four principles about the church. I will be reading from my Bible, and there's a copy on the screen. There's copies under the seat in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love to give you one after the service is over. Even we would love to give you a Bible. But please hear the reading of God's Word as God speaks to us. The Bible says, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated because I know God is going to bless his holy word. Here's the first thing we learned this morning. The teaching foundation is critical to the church. Notice I didn't say a teaching foundation, but the teaching foundation is critical to the church. Here's what we want to see here today. Before there were ever members of a church, there was a message. The message of the church created the members of the church. It's the same today. Without the message, there are no true members of a church. Members come through one and only one way. That's through hearing the word of God and the gospel of Jesus and responding to it. But someone, praise God, somebody has to deliver the message. That's why we see this, that the church has a specifically called teacher. The church has a specifically called teacher. That is A under number one. 
the church has a specifically called teacher. Paul starts by focusing on the fact, if you read, he says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He's been specifically called to teach at the church at Corinth, and he says he's an apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent, sent out one, a messenger of somebody else's message. Paul says he was called an apostle. Called means to name or to summons. He says that he's an apostle of the Lord. By focusing on the fact that he was called and as a messenger of the Lord Jesus, he's saying that his apostleship establishes his authority to be the teacher at the church of Corinth. He's not lifting himself up, but he's establishing his right to speak authoritatively on behalf of the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, I am a messenger of the Lord's message. You see, in Jewish life, the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, would arbitrate serious disputes and give an interpretation of Jewish law or tradition. And when that decision had been made, they would send somebody out to tell everybody about the decision, and that person was called an apostolos. The apostolos had the full authority to speak on behalf of the Sanhedrin. He didn't speak for himself. He just repeated the message and the decisions that had already been made. That's exactly what Paul is doing. And beloved, that still happens today. The Lord calls men like me and, and Pastor Justin to continue to preach and teach not our own message, but this message. The decision has already been made. We just deliver the mail. We don't write the mail. Amen. I'm just a messenger of the Lord's message through the apostles which came from Jesus Christ. But here is an encouraging word. We've been trying to lead you this way this morning. Did you know that God is still speaking? God is still speaking from his word. If you came today looking to just hear from me, and if you come to church just to hear me speak, you are going to be sorely disappointed. But God is speaking through this book, amen. And if you come to hear from the Lord on Sundays, as long as we're preaching this book, you're going to hear from God, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So instantly, Paul begins to address problems that are plaguing the Corinthian church. One of those, as we covered last week, was the people's failure to see him as an apostle. They were rejecting his authority over them and the right that he had to bear on certain issues. The Corinthians had come to deny Paul's apostleship because he hadn't been with Christ the three years of his public ministry. He hadn't been an eyewitness to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But yet Paul had seen the resurrected Christ in a dynamic way when he was converted on the Damascus Road. And it was this feisty Jewish Pharisee that received his call to be an apostle by the Lord Jesus himself. So Paul states his divine authority to teach these Corinthians. Christ sovereignly called Paul to salvation, but Paul says here, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Can I just tell you today, if you're listening by way of radio or online, or you're just here in our audience listening, that every single person and every single man that claims to hold this office must be called by Christ and must know he's been called by Christ to do this job. Amen. There should be conviction and a divine compulsion to do this. Let me just say this to you. Let me say it differently. It's not a presbytery. It's not a board of elders. It's not even a local church organization that calls a man into ministry. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Ordination to ministry is merely a human act by which we recognize God's call on a man's life. But here's what I can tell you, that there are many men that stand in pulpits these days that don't teach on this book and aren't called to this profession. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way. He said, most ordinations are simply empty hands placed on empty heads. <laughs> Paul is an apostle because he de- not because he desired it, but because God decreed it. He had no choice in the matter. It was not the vote of an elder board, the vote of a congregation that made him an apostle. His appointment was from God himself, and that gave him great confidence because he knew what God had said. No man should ever be behind a pulpit and in the ministry unless he cannot say clearly that the Lord God has called him to this position. A man can, listen to me, a man that is called of God or or somebody that is called of God to serve in the church can't do anything else but this calling. I remember in seminary they used to tell us, and I had professors that would walk in every day and say these words, young men, if you can find anything else to do but the ministry, please go do it. Because listen to me, woe unto me, like Paul said, if I don't preach the gospel. This is like fire in my bones. I can't not do this. So when I get discouraged and I want to quit, there's one thing and one thing only that keeps me going. You know what it is? It's the call of the Lord Jesus Christ on my life. Apostles were called by God to the church, and they were called to form and found the church. Listen. No matter what your theological persuasion is, I'm going to give you mine. (laughs) After the apostles began to preach and teach and found the church, the gift of the apostle died out. It ceased. When the apostles died, there are no more because God replaced the apostles with pastors and evangelists. And so therefore, now the specifically gifted teacher of the church at your church is none other than me. That may seem prideful, but I'm just trying to teach you what the Bible says, and sometimes I have to teach you that, and it looks like I'm promoting me. That's not what's happening. Any man who would be called of here is your specific teacher of this church. Amen? The church also, though, has specifically called teaching. Not just a specifically called teacher, but specifically called teaching. Paul says that he was called by the will of God. What was he called to do? (laughs) Well, when... Paul got met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was told that he was going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel of Jesus Christ is exactly the specific teaching that the church has got to get right. The apostles were eyewitnesses. Listen to me. The apostles were eyewitnesses of the sinless life of Christ. The substitutionary atonement by his death Christ's burial and his resurrection, and that salvation came by faith in him, and that if one were to believe that, one needed to be baptized. That is the gospel. That is the specific teaching of the church. This is the message that begets the members of the church. Amen. This is the only message that begets only true members of any church. As one man put it, Paul was the writer of 1 Corinthians But it was also recorded, if you see here, he says, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now think about this. Paul says, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, Sosthenes was a very famous person in Corinth because the Greek in this verse says, and our brother, the Sosthenes. He was the former leader of the Jewish synagogue in Corinth who hated Christ. 
And the apostle Paul was hated by him because Sosthenes heard Paul preaching a message that was contrary to the one that was being taught in the synagogue. And Sosthenes led a group of Jews to charge Paul before the Roman court. Because in Acts 18, it says, while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him to court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God contrary to the law. That was Sosthenes leading that charge. Galileo, the Roman proconsul, who wouldn't get involved in Jewish law, dismissed the case. And the Jews were so disgusted with Sosthenes, the new ruler of the synagogue, because he was unable to persuade the Romans of Paul's guilt. So they beat Sosthenes up in front of the tribunal. That beating caused Sosthenes to lose faith in the Jewish cause. But there was a deeper reason. The leader of the synagogue before Sosthenes was Crispus. Crispus and his whole family came to Christ through the preaching of Paul, and then Sosthenes then replaces Crispus. Sosthenes undoubtedly had to observe and study much about why Crispus left the faith and embraced Christ and joined Christianity. In doing so, he stumbled on the gospel of Jesus and gave his life to Jesus because of Paul's message of the gospel. It must have been a blow to the only Jewish synagogue in town to lose two leaders within a few months to the Christian message of the gospel. Anyway, Sosthenes is converted to Christ. And because of that message, Sosthenes now has his place in our biblical history of helping Paul even record that specific message. Amen? Listen to me. Sosthenes became a member of the church because there was a specific teacher with a specific message of the gospel. And that's the way we continue to do it here, amen? If you're going to build something, Jeremy tells me, I don't know, Ray has told me numerous times, that if you're going to build something, the bigger the structure the bigger and deeper the foundation must be. Am I right? I mean, because I'm not pretending to be an, an, an architecture dude. I almost said an archaeologist, but that, that <laughs> shows you how smart I am. But, but, but right, the deeper you got to go, the taller and bigger, right? Does everybody agree with that? Well, think about this, man. When God built his church, he used an eternally strong and deep foundation that will never change that will never break, that will never crack, that will never deteriorate, that never will be affected by natural disaster. When God chose to build his church, he built it on the foundation of this book, amen. amen. And I'm gonna tell you today, that's the same thing we have to do because in Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20, it says, so then, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. How did we get here? having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Here's the deal. Without the message, there are no members. So I want to right now, could you just thank God out loud for his word? Amen. Do I got anybody in the church today that could just say praise God for his word? Praise God that he calls men and women to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have we got anybody excited about that today? Amen. You see, listen, if you're listening by way of radio today or you're online in our online audience, can I just challenge you today as I look out there into the camera and tell you this, that if you are not in a Bible preaching, 
Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming church. Listen to me. I say this with all the love in my heart. You are not in a church. You're in a club. And my advice to you is to get as quick as you can to a church that makes it all about this book. Amen. Do I have anybody that's excited that we're about the book here? Amen. Praise God. See, this is good. See, I know you're glad you came to church today, right? I'm having fun if you ain't. And I'm sorry it's at your expense, but here's the deal. The teaching foundation is critical to the church, but then you need to know this. Two facets are contained in the church. Two facets are contained in the church. You see, sometimes church language is confusing. Sometimes I think even the word church is confusing. So Paul gives us some help here by helping us understand these two facets. And the first thing is he teaches us is this. All believers are part of the large church. All believers are part of the large church. Paul says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. He later goes on to say, I'm going to all saints by calling in verse 2, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord, and ours. To help us understand, we have to kind of look at the word church. The word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which literally means to call out. In other words, God summons those and he calls them out and forms them together in a new assembly, given grace and salvation, and he calls that a church. The word church was a common word in Greek society and really referred to any assembly of any sort of kind that met on a normal basis. In the New Testament, it's given general technical meaning, referring to the group of people that God has called to salvation through Christ from all the nations to make up his people in a present age. So you have to understand this. In New Testament times, there were no Baptists, no Presbyterians, no Lutherans, no Catholics, no Methodists, no Independents, or whatever other denomination you want to make. Denominations have come about because of theological and cultural differences. But in actuality, there's only one universal large church of God, and it's made up of only those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Membership in the universal church comes only, please hear me, not by my authority, but based on this book's authority, it only comes by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul says that this is called the church of God. Do you notice that? This tells us that the church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to me or you. <laughs> I get a little nervous when I say, well, I'm going to go up to my church today. Well, I know what you mean by that. And this is our church, yeah? But really, this is God's church, amen? God owns this church. Men may despise, deride, defame, and avoid the local church, but the church is still God's plan A because there is no plan B for reaching the world. It was God's church and not Paul's, and it ain't ours. But that's the large church. It's made up of everyone who's called upon the name of Jesus Christ throughout all the ages. That's the large church. But here's something Paul tells you. Not only that, but all believers will be in a local church. All believers are part of the large church, but listen, Paul says that all believers will be in a local church because he says there, the church of God, large church, which is at Corinth. Here's what I need you to understand. The large church, if I'm a part of the large church, I will always find myself committed and devoted to a local church. 
The local church is where the specific teacher with a specific message continues to teach you about the one true God. And it becomes the place where the universal church can be seen. It makes the invisible visible. That's been said, and you've probably said it, and you've probably heard me say it. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. But brothers and sisters, can I tell you today that while the church may not be a building and the church may not be a place, the local church always meets in a place. Always. So listen, if you listen to me right now, if you're listening to me online, if you are not gathering in a local body, then you are never in God's will. This local body is where the family of God meets. Do y'all know this? We are family in this place. We're family. We need, to, we need to have each other in each other's lives on a weekly basis. We've got to see each other. We've got to hear from God together. We've, we have to serve one another. We, have to, we get to love one another. I get to see your kids. You get to see my kids. It's all about part, being a part of a body. And if one part of the body is sick, the other people take care of it. This is more than just meeting here. This is family business, y'all. And we need the local church. This is where we covenant together to live like Jesus and to do what he says. And listen, because of that, we can work anything out that comes our way. The amazing thing is that the church of God there in Corinth was planted in a very wicked city like Corinth. Even in that pagan city, amid its pride, its impurity, its absorbing rush for pleasure and for wealth, there was a brotherhood of believers that had come together by the supernatural working of God and called them to be right there at Corinth. You know what that tells me? There's no place that's so degraded. There's no place that's so depraved. There's no place on this earth that's so morally helpless that the church of God can't change. Listen to me. I don't say this pridefully, but I praise God for LaGrange because First Baptist Church is here. Amen. We're going to make a difference in this city. Amen? Amen. I was, I was reading, and you probably have heard this story before, but I, it just come to me this week. An elderly lady was amazed about how nice this young man was who lived next door to her. Every day, he would help her gather her things from her car and do things in her yard. So one day, she said to him, she said, son, how did you become such a fine young man? He said, well, when I was a boy, I had a drug problem. She said, I can't believe that. He said, yeah. He said, every Sunday, my parents drug me to church. <laughs> then they drug me to church on Sunday night. Then they drug me to church on Wednesday. I was drugged to church my whole life. Yeah, I had a drug problem. That's why I am who I am. Listen to me. Sometimes, sometimes you have to be drugged to church. Sometimes, even probably like this morning, you probably had to drag yourself to church. <laughs> well, I want to say a word to everyone that's listening. And listen to me and hear, hear your pastor's heart. In this day of COVID, in this day that we're living in, these words need to, need to really resonate on our hearts. Hebrews 10.25 is still in the book. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as in the habit of some. God has told us in his book that there should be no reason 
long-term that we forsake the assembling together. There, there are no exceptions to that command. There's no traveling sports team that should cause you to violate that commandment. There's no sickness under heaven unless you're providentially hindered that should keep you from... There's no schedule on earth unless you have a job that, that, that just demands that you work on Sunday. Listen to me. What we found is that people stop getting in the habit find another habit. And I'm just telling you, we need the church. This community will suffer if we don't gather together. God says, because when we come together, we get to do what? Encourage one another. <laughs> I love that word, don't you? I need some encouraging. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you know this? You'll never get to skip church in heaven. You might as well get used to it now. I mean, you don't get to skip church. There's going to be no reason, you know, that you go to skip church. That meeting together is what the church does. If you are not providentially hindered, listen to me, you should be in church. We're called the church because we're the called church. And we're called to be at church so we can encourage one another. But but listen, there, do you know, I can't explain this to you. It's like, do you know what happens to food when you eat it? Let's not get gross, but I think you know. You don't know what all is going on inside. You just know you eat it and something crazy happens. There's something that happens to replenish your body. You get energy, you get all kinds of things, and stuff happens, but you don't see it. When you come to church, there's something supernaturally going on inside that you can't see. And you have to have it to feed your soul, Amen. The teaching foundation is critical to the church. Two facets are contained in the church, and I'm probably going to get giddy about this one, but the faith testimony is a confession of the church. A faith testimony is the confession of the church. Paul says there, look there in your Bibles. He says, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Good gracious. Then do you notice he says to the church, he's telling everybody, it's in the plural. <laughs> he says, saints, meaning all y'all. Notice he says that it's every single one of them, and, and I am teaching here. I'm trying to make a point for all those who want to criticize me through email and you want to come visit my office. Come on after we're done. I'll be ready for you. But notice that they're not called this after they die, but while they're still living. Notice that they're not singling out a pious or self-sacrificing person who's been canonized by an ecclesiastical council. These are not the ones that we should pray to. They're not the ones that we should set apart and think we'll have blessings as we try to honor them. That, that's not what Paul uses by the word saints. We've got to redeem that word. The word saint or hagias means one who's been set apart, a holy one. What's really wonderful is that Paul calls them this word even when their actions are contrary to what he's saying. And can I encourage you today, that is good news for anybody that's struggling in your walk today. <laughs> Regardless, listen to me, I'm trying to give you some hope. Regardless of your lifestyle this morning, regardless of your distorted doctrine about secondary issues, you are called a saint if you're in Jesus. Whether you're well-known, a leader, a follower, faithful or unfaithful, you have been called a saint by Jesus Christ. Sainthood is not a matter of good works or holy living. 
We should be holy. We should do good works, but that's not what makes us a saint. The holy one, the sainthooder, if you want to, the sanctifier is the one who makes us saints. It's all about Jesus, amen. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, that saints, first of all, possess a positional holiness. Possess a positional holiness. Paul says to those who have been sanctified in Jesus Christ. That word sanctified means to be set apart. Now, I'm going to give you an English test here today. I'm going to say some stuff and quiz you after the service. That word there, it says, have been sanctified. I'm not trying to impress you, but you need to know your Bible. It's in the perfect tense. You may not know what that is, so I'm here to tell you. It's also in the passive voice. That's important to know. That's why we have to study the original languages when we go to to seminary, because we can understand this book this way. What this means is that having been sanctified is in the perfect tense. It means it's something that happened in the past that's results continue in the present. It's not just something that happened then and it's done. It means it's in the perfect tense. It happened in the past and the results continue on in the present. In other words, I was made holy in the past and that result carries today. But it's also in the passive voice. It means you didn't do it to yourself. You had no choice in the matter. When you came to faith in Jesus, he made you holy. You don't make yourself holy. So that's why when you start getting sideways, it's all about Jesus bringing you back. It all goes back to what he's doing. So it means that it's something that I don't do. It's something that's happened to me. When I trusted Jesus to save me from my sin, I repented of my sins, Jesus made me holy. He took my sin and he imputed, that's a big word, he gave me his righteousness and he took my sin. He put his Holy Spirit in me in the past at that moment and it continues to this day. And Jesus sees me through his sacrifice. The Father sees me today through that sacrifice. He doesn't see me still in my sin. That's why he can call me a saint. Even when I don't feel like it, faith says it's so, amen. So say it with me. I have been sanctified. Say it. I have been sanctified. You have been sanctified, amen. But that's where you're at positionally. (laughs) With the Father in Christ, before the Father, you have been seated with God in heavenly places. You have every spiritual blessing. You've got all of Jesus you're gonna get in the sense. You've been made to look exactly like Christ positionally before the throne. But here's where the problem comes in. I may be seated up there, but I'm still walking down here. (laughs) It gets a little ugly down here, doesn't it? That's why we got the second point, that saints perfect a practical holiness. Saints perfect a practical holiness because Paul says saints by calling. In other words, now we got to live out what the Lord Jesus has done. Positionally, I'm seated with Christ. I'm I'm holy like Christ, but sometimes we struggle. Can can I get a witness? Is anybody in the church that struggles to be holy? Because I do. Amen. I'll see y'all at the altar here in about five minutes. And I'm just, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. (laughs) The phrase saints by calling can also imply to make holy in one's experience. What really Paul is saying is that since you're saints, you should live saintly. Holy ones should live holy. Set apart ones should live set apart lives. But here's the key, guys. Listen to me. 
If you leave here and you say, the first thing I'm going to do to become more holy, I've been under conviction of God this morning, I've been under his preaching, the first thing I'm going to do is put a, put a list of do's and don'ts up, and I'm going to not do this anymore, and I'm going to start doing this. You've already failed. Because that's why Paul is teaching us something here today. You can't battle sin by going out and saying, I'm going to battle sin. That's not your first place. You battle sin by understanding who you are in Christ before you go try to mess with sin. Your identity will determine your activity. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know. You've got to know your identity is in Jesus. And I'm going to look to Jesus, and I'm going to look to him, and it's through that that now he helps me to do this other stuff. You've got to understand identity. So let me, let me just ask you just this real quick question. I, I just love a couple answers, not rhetorical. This is actually live. I want to hear a couple answers. What do you think is one thing you could do to become more holy in your life? Anybody? Pray more. Amen. What else? Yeah, praise God. Read the word more. What else? Yeah, worship. Yeah, we definitely, yeah, worship, yeah. Anything else? Witness, amen. Anything else? Come to, hey, come. All right, ning, ning, we don't want a chicken dinner. Uh, preacher's pet over there. Come to church, yeah, anything else? See, here's what I'm convinced of. Here's what I'm convinced of. You guys know how to live holy. You got the right answers. But the reason we can't leave here and go do it is because we're not going back to understand that we are saints in Jesus and we've got to get identity right. This is the mission of this church, that we love God because he loves us and we get this right and understand identity. We are the beloved and he is the lover. And now the overflow of that, we go on to do what? It fuels great commission living. Are you with me? You have to understand, that's why we, our vision says we create a place for people to belong because they get identity right before they get what? Becoming and believing right. Identity. When you walk up to anybody and you shake hands with them, you say, hey, how you doing? Within two minutes, you're going to already ask this question. You're not going to ask them, hey, tell me about your daughter. What, what is, tell me about that. Tell me about what you are as a father. Hey, hey, tell me about your emotions. How do you feel? No, you're going to do this. Hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Well, here's what I do. And we jack up all this stuff and tell people what we do about a living because we equate what I do is really who I am. And I'm trying to help us back up and see that that's, that's jacked up theology because who I am determines what I do. I've got to know who I am. And so if I'm just a, a garbage taker upper, a garbage collector, I feel like I'm just low on the totem pole and that's not true. You're a child of God. And you just happen to do that for a living, but who I am, that ain't who I am. That's what I do. But I can take trash up to the glory of God, and I can be the best, best trash collector there's ever been and lead people to Jesus because I understand who I am. Y'all with me? We making sense? We land in the plane? I don't know. Maybe we are, we ain't. But I can just tell you this. One day, one of the president's sons was pulled over for, for drunk driving. <laughs> Not good. I won't tell you whose. <laughs> I want y'all to think I'm getting political. That president's son was pulled over for drunk driving, and, and he, uh, he was there in his car, rolled down his window. The state, state policeman came over and said, hello, young man. The young man looked at him and said, don't you know who I am? 
Y'all said, yeah, exactly. I know exactly who you are, and that's why I'm going to write you a ticket. It's because you're a president's son that you should know better. Can I just tell you something? I think that's the way the world works. They believe that because we are children of God, we should do better. But here's the news I want to tell you today. Let's flip that around. Just because that president's son got a ticket, did it change the fact that he was still the president's son? And that's what we need to get to as a church. Just because people in the church sin don't mean they lost their Christianity. Just because the people, listen to me, just because the Holy Spirit of God shows up in your life, puts on the blue lights and writes you a ticket, doesn't mean that you've forsaken your faith. What it means is, is that positionally, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be, positionally, but practically, we're still getting this thing right, which leads me to tell you this, and I've got to go on. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. That's why Paul ends this thing with these two words, grace and peace. That's why he ends there, and he tells us this very quickly, that a treasured fabric is central to the church. A treasured fabric. Paul wants to keep some things central. He wants them to remember that the way we continue to grow in holiness is because of the gift of God. The result of growing in holiness is a wonderful blessing. And he wants them all to know, listen to me, you're not going to get this thing perfect. I've called you saints, but you're not going to get that right all the time. So what you have to understand is, is you and I need to continue to have the grace of God, which results in the peace of God. Grace with God results in the peace with God. Grace from God results in peace with all men. It's the supernatural, overflowing, ununderstandable grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we enjoy and express undeserved favor. He says grace to you. Grace is undeserved favor and blessing of the Lord. You don't do anything to deserve it. You can do nothing to, to earn it. Everything is all the gift of God's grace, and his grace is greater than what, church? All our sin. Did you hear that? Grace is greater than all our sins, so you've got to start by giving grace to yourself. You're not going to get this sainthood thing right. Give grace to yourself. Receive God's grace. Enjoy God's grace. We sang about grace this morning. It's still called what? Amazing for a reason. But if I'm going to give grace to me, then guess what that means? I've got to do what for other people? See, I've got to be the grace giver to others. And when they don't get it right, I've got to give them grace too. Amen? And when we do that, we get to enjoy and express unexplained fellowship. That's why it says grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, listen to me. Peace is a fruit of grace. Peace is a fruit of grace. We want to be at peace with one another in this church. We've got to give more grace. Peace is the fruit of grace. When we give grace, there's peace. When this peace comes along, it's the shalom of God. It's Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds. When we operate as saints and we live in grace, there's peace. Peace through God, through Christ, the peace of God and the Spirit. Peace with others will be the result. I remember in our home one time, when we, when we still had all of our girls living at home, we've got seven wild, crazy girls. They're awesome. Did you know that girls can eat more than boys, by the way? Just, just, that's just a random fact, just throwing that out there to you. Um, one time we had in our living room, or in our dining room, we had these chairs that were covered with fabric. As you can imagine, with all these, these children running around, man, how dirty the, that fabric had become on those chairs. 
And listen, you can judge me all you want to. I taught them how to eat right. I mean, I tried to, but there's little hands that are covered with macaroni and cheese. There's active bodies that want to throw food. There's accidents that happen while they're eating food. Life happens, and you can never prevent those chairs from getting dirty. (laughs) Amen to anybody in the house that understands what I'm talking about. All right, I'm just thinking maybe I'm crazy. So one day, my wife takes off that old fabric, and she recovers these chairs with her favorite animal in the world, a giraffe. She gets this giraffe print. By the way, if you love my wife, you'll buy her giraffe stuff. These chairs were restored, and they became beautiful again. Now, now you're saying, Pastor, what are you doing? Where are you going? Okay, watch this. Mm-mm-mm. Listen. When you realize as a dad that you can recover nasty chairs with another type of fabric, it keeps you from freaking out. Listen to me. In the church, when stuff happens, when we throw food at each other, when life gets dirty and accidents happen and we don't act the way we should or do as we've been taught, Jesus says grace gives a new fabric. And when we know that we can get a new fabric, it keeps us from freaking out when people do what people are gonna do. Because we just realize we just go back and refabric it again with this thing called grace. And when grace is covering the chairs in the church, peace is in the house of the Lord. Are you with me? You can enjoy church a whole lot more, even in the mess, when you know God's got a giraffe print in the throne room. The teaching foundation is critical to the church. Man, make your way. Two facets are contained in the church. A faith testimony is a confession. A treasured fabric is essential to the church. As I close today, as I'll kind of land this plane, you can hear the stewardess kind of come around. She's like, hey, get your tables up and here, get your trash. Y'all hear all that stuff? It's going because the plane's going to land right now. You're going to feel a bump. You're going to be like, whoa, we're on the ground. <laughs> we get to get out of here and go to lunch, I guess. I read a story about a man that was marooned on a desolate island. He'd been there for five years, and then he was found and rescued. As he was getting into the rescue boat, the rescuers noticed that he had three grass huts built on his little island. They said, hey, man, I thought you were alone here. Why are there three huts? Well, the man said, well, the first hut is my home. The second hut is my church. Well, dude, what's the third hut? He said, well, that's the church I used to belong to. That happens way too much in the church. You and I have been called to the local church. And can I just say a word to you? You should never quit on your family. You should never abandon your brothers like Sosthenes. Because we have the teaching of the gospel here. And we're being made practically to look like Jesus here. And because we have grace, we can work anything out here. So I want to encourage you that as we continue on as a church, would you just do this? 
before we look at each other's deeds, can we look at each other's needs? And the need is, is we need to remind each other who we are before we talk about what we've done. We are those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And if you know Christ and I know Christ, that changes everything. We are brothers and sisters. And there's nothing that God's grace can't cover. Nothing. So I wonder if you'd rise to your feet this morning and I want to give you a chance to respond. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and ever been made sanctified by Him, but trusting that He died for you, was buried for you and raised for you, today's a good day. Pastor Justin and some others are going to make their way up here and I'll be down here in just a second. Come grab us by the hand and we'll lead you to know Jesus. If you are like still struggling with this sainthood and working it out, we want to pray with you. If there's anybody in the room today under the conviction of the Holy Spirit sense that God called them in the ministry, man, it'd be a great day to come forward and identify that. If today you're the one standing in need of grace or you have a lack of peace about anything, today would be a great day to come. Let us pray with you. I don't know what your decision is, but we're going to